Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, I'm Stephen. And I'm Helen. And welcome to another Emergency New Statesman podcast. Wow, wow, wow. It's been a very exciting morning. So let's wind back to what the plan for the day was. So Theresa May was planning to launch her Tory leadership campaign in the country. She'd given some briefings. We'll talk a bit more about the content of them. Angela Eagle was also due to launch her bid for the Labour leadership. Anyway, so Theresa May just got out in time from her her launch. But Angela Eagle was halfway through her, her speech when we found out the news that Angela Andrea Leadsom, I feel that these people should have more different names, it's very confusing, was going to pull out from the Tory leadership race, which means that Theresa May is our next Prime Minister. Where were you when you heard that Andrea Leadsom was going to pull out? I mean, I was watching the Angela Eagle announcement on Sky. It's one of those things where you, you always prefer to cover things live, but, but George you mean was go to, them. to go them and yeah. see them in the flesh. I was not invited to Theresa May's launch in Birmingham, which I'm very sad about. And George was at Angela Eagle, so I was watching them on screen. But I was very grateful because obviously this is one of the times you're like, thank goodness I'm right at my computer and can immediately start writing than Andrea Leadsom has gone up. The amusing thing is, so one of Jeremy Corbyn's allies in Westminster has a joke that I viciously stole as my own so I could get some retweets. Andrea Leadsom is a trot entryist. We hear a lot about trots who've joined the Labour Party to elect Corbyn. But actually, they were like, we've also got one on the other side, this unelectable woman who we're going to make Tory PM. So Jeremy wins. And the amusing thing is, is obviously it's almost, it feels as if that double agent decided she couldn't beat Theresa May, but she could completely ruin any <laughs> hope Angela Eagle's launch had of getting any coverage whatsoever. So I just feel like I, you know, I like to imagine Corbyn in a phone box because, I mean, there are a lot of phone boxes around Westminster. I have no idea if they still work or yeah, if they just, retro. you know, urinals. But, um, yeah, picking up a phone and just being like, you need to come in from the cold, Andrea. <laughs> we need to detonate the eagle. Um, I mean, it did follow a... Um, I mean, I feel... I don't say my part in her downfall. I do feel partly responsible because Ian Duncan Smith said that, you know, people have been terrifically beastly to her and, and put terrible attacks on her. But that all came as a result of this interview that she gave to Rachel Sylvester in The Times, in which she said that, you know, Theresa May has got nieces and nephews. And this was the thing, when the audio came out, it was much worse because you see the emphasis she puts. She goes, Theresa May has nieces and nephews, but I have children. 
And that yeah. was the, which didn't even kind of completely come across in the written version of the interview, but it was incredibly obvious when you heard the audio that that was exactly the point she was trying to make. Yeah. And the fact she prefaced it with, definitely don't write this up as about being, about me and Teresa as having a difference, but I'll tell you the difference between us. From people I, I spoke to who are sympathetic to her, say she would have had no idea that that's how it was. I mean, she just genuinely thought if you say to a journalist, don't put this in the headline, but I think that Theresa May is Satan probably and she's coming to kill us all. I mean, I think the the I mean, I was going to say I felt sorry for her, and that was a lie. That was me attempting to appear to be as charitable as I should be, rather than I in fact am. But I think the interesting thing is basically the Brexiteers and the Tory right had this problem where their preferred first candidate Boris Johnson was detonated by Michael Gove, who also detonated himself. And I think what's happened is a lot of people have written Andrea Leadsom up to be much more impressive and formidable than she in fact was. I mean, obviously, like Rachel Sylvester is is widely regarded as kind of she's a good interviewer. Yeah, the, the, but she's not a Paxman. I mean, she won't fire horrifying questions at you that leave you sort of struggling and gasping for breath. She will just ask you for your opinions on difficult topics. Yeah, but I think that kind of part of her secrecy kind of lulls you into because she is one of those really nice people that you meet her and you're just like you just seem like a really nice person who's just not going to do anything bad to me so i can see how you would you know say things which are and also it was made worse because last week theresa may gave her an interview in the mail on sunday in which she talked about the fact that her and her husband philip had wanted children but had been unable to have them so yeah and also i think she just did look like she wasn't ready for prime time ignoring for a fact that i think that her politics would have been disastrous for britain she also well, that late night tweet, tweet on Friday night where she said, you know, horrible, this is the exact opposite of what I mean. Uh, you know, you must release the audio now. That, to me, felt like a you know somebody who's actually in charge of their own Twitter account seeing something that horrified them and, and just immediately tweeting like a normal human yeah. would. But you kind of can't do um, that when you're one, you know, when you're 150,000 votes away from being prime minister. Well, the thing is, I know that uh, our podcast listeners who follow me on Twitter are going to start laughing and tweeting that I'm a hypocrite. But I just don't think that the Prime Minister should be tweeting at, at Certainly half shouldn't past be midnight on a Friday. Engaging in Twitter beef with with the Times, right? Yeah, I just I just think it's one of those things where it's just like well, you're not running to be Prime Minister, so I think you're kind of okay on it. When you when you do run for Prime yeah. Minister, I will forcibly confiscate your Twitter password. But I mean, I do just think it's one of those slightly strange things where I mean, it's a bit like one of the many amusing subplots of the American election, where Trump's Twitter war with Hillary Clinton is clearly consuming most of his waking time. <laughs> but let's face it. Hillary Clinton on Twitter is some... I mean, like, Hillary doesn't... Hillary does not know what Twitter is. Like, Hillary has not sent a tweet. No, she's certainly not sitting there, like, trying to brew up some zingers, you know. Although the one that she did do when she just went, delete your account, was kind of magnificent. And actually, that was... I mean, I know some people didn't like it, but that was the thing. If you're going to, you know, you don't acknowledge your rival, right? You, You act as if they're kind of completely beneath you in that situation. And that's what she did. And then she just whooped out that killer blow and then moved on to tweeting slightly bland things about jobs. But also, jobs. let's face it, it wasn't her. I mean, like, obviously she ultimately has hired whoever it is who does their, their Twitter account, but actually that is the Yeah, but it only took seven of... minutes for that tweet to come out after his tweet. Because then Donald Trump then did it like, how many hours did it take your 490 staff to come up with this? And you were like, you could, you could Donald, you can see the timestamps. It's kind of it's kind of how Twitter works, Donald. Um, but, yeah, so Theresa May is now... Uh, Undisputed Prime Minister Andrea Leadsom having said, among other things, that it would be difficult for her to lead with the support of just 24% of her MPs. Segwaying effortlessly towards the other political story of the day, which is the ongoing Stramash. Am I using that right? Oh, yeah, nice, very nice. Uh, 
in in the Labour Party. Cluster fudge in the Labour Party. Yeah, it was an, it was an interesting one. So I I briefly saw Angela Eagle at the weekend from across the Sunday Politics studio. She came in to do an interview. It followed, I think, a, a, an extraordinary interview by Jeremy Corbyn on the Andrew Marr show, in which not only did he look chillaxed to the max. I mean, quite a lot of people, when I said this on Twitter, said, do you think he's on beta blockers? But he's I, just very zen. Well, I think he? he probably maybe meditates. He maybe spent some time on his allotment the day before. But whatever it was that he'd, he'd done, he was incredibly relaxed. And he just stuck to this line of, you know, I'm making an open offer. I'm, I, I, I talked to lots of my MPs. You thought, we well, don't really get points for that if you're the Labour leader. And, you know, I just, I, you know, I'd like them to kind of come back really and and i just thought well that's sweet and definitely the right thing for him to do for his fans right who will say well actually jeremy's open to talks continuing but realistically the chance of going back into a shadow cabinet of someone that you have said is terrible are small yeah they're, they're relatively small and and also the response to that interview from most labor mps was to tweet or to text or both angrily saying he doesn't meet with us yeah etc etc i mean one of the things I find, this is a young fogeyish comment, but I'm going to make it anyway, slightly dispiriting about it, is what actually this is really about is a fairly interesting argument about whether or not parliamentary democracy or party democracy should have a stronger weight within the internal mechanisms of a party which is seeking seats and representation in parliament, which is the same debate Labour was having in the 80s. But in the 80s, the key partisans on both sides explicitly fought and argued that on that basis, you know, most famously in the clash between Dennis Healy and Tony Benn. Effectively, that is what the intellectual underpinnings of today's argument are. But you basically have, on the one hand, oh, I've joined, I'll leave if I don't get Corbyn, he has a mandate, versus you're all £3 trots, which obviously they're not, and he's unelectable, which, I mean... I'm sympathetic to that argument up until the point that the rebels' counter-offer is Angela Eagle, to be honest. And the other thing is that I think the incredible turbulence and the unexpected results of both the last election and Brexit mean that it is it does give cover to anyone who says, well, you can't trust polls. How do you know he's not electable? Yeah. Or, you know, the, the huge turnout that there was in the EU referendum that really surprised people. You know, we were all kind of saying, well, the thing about non-voters is that they don't vote. But actually, it turns out the non-voters do vote in, in a referendum in quite large numbers. And actually, young people, you know, they now revised up the number figure. They thought it was only about 30% oh. of 18 to 25-year-olds, and they've now ri- revised it upwards. So I'm going to caveat the turnout figures about young people, yeah. which is that turnout is the hardest thing for pollsters to get right. It's why they got the referendum wrong. It's why they got the general election wrong. My anecdotal instinct is that the first one suggesting it was 30% is definitely wrong. I went to a perfectly ordinary school where lots of people left at 16 and are now doing unskilled jobs. And lots of my school friends were voting in the European referendum. I find it hard to reconcile that with the idea that turnout among the mm. young was only at 30%. However, I wouldn't give particular credence to either the 60 or the 30%. No, figures. 60% did seem re- very high when you think that's the rate at which you know retired people are turning out at And also, I mean, the, the 90% among the over 75s also just feels a bit too high. I mean, statistically, at any given point, there is quite a large number of registered voters over 75 who are unexpectedly in hospital or whatever. Yeah, to be incredibly <laughs> morbid, that also is a number which didn't quite work. Yeah, obviously turnout did go up. It does show the other corollary about the non-voters point, which is you can increase turnout, but you can't increase... Your turnout. Your own turnout. Yeah, it is a zero-sum game. 
Um, um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about about Angela Eagle's candidacy is the fact that she says that she is running on a competence manifesto rather than a policy one. And this is what I find really fascinating about the way that the battle is being presented. And I think it's in probably both sides' gift to do this. Is it? It's a fight between the sort of the left and the right of the Labour parties, and actually. Angela Eagle is, you know, we've always said she's on the soft left. She's not opposed to things like nationalisation or she's not in favour of big bastardly things about welfare. But what they've done is it seems to me is they've ended up with a candidate that no one in the party wants because she's not someone that anyone hates, right? There's no one who actively is super on board, which is, I think, a really big problem. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think there are a couple of misreadings of what happened last summer that the PLP has made. And I think in general, there has been a startling lack of thought about why Jeremy Corbyn won and why his opponents were defeated. I think, so one, there's this idea of, oh, it was the left-right placement, so we just need someone who is within the tent, but is you know, kind of on the left of Labour's mainstream. Hence, Angela Eagle and Owen Smith being floated. I have spoken to a slightly ridiculously large number of Labour members and Corbyn voters. And actually, the main thing is the ability to inspire people, make them feel optimistic about the future of the country and optimistic about their ability to defeat the Tories. I I'm sorry, that's... Angela Eagle is not a candidate who fills people with optimism about their ability. I mean, yeah. if Theresa May is... Go I mean, the, th the thing I will say with certainty is Theresa May is going to crush Jeremy Corbyn and she would crush Angela Eagle. I think the Tory um, light, although it's one of those phrases that gets thrown away around in a way that I find slightly irritating, like Blairite, when it's yanked around from its original meaning. But Tory light is a key phrase here, right? People do not want a Labour Party that they feel is a slightly less nasty Conservative Party. They want a distinctive party with policies of its own, one that explicitly opposes things that they don't like, rather than endlessly triangulates, for example, on immigration and welfare. Yeah, and actually, I think that's the thing is, in terms of the left-right placement, I think actually the totemic issues for the Labour selectorate are immigration. And actually, the economic stuff has kind of gone now. The effects of Brexit, to continue my thing of going like Brexit, it's much worse than you think means that the Conservative government we're about to get is going to have to do a lot of fiscal stimulus, right? This idea of not expanding the deficit, it's gone, right? Yeah, austerity yeah, is, like... is, is dead. I and mean, I think this is something that I kind of keep on meaning to write about, that the kind of crazy of which you know we will be, and you and I have been in enough TV studios and radio studios with people banging us over the head about why you know why won't you accept austerity why do you want to live beyond your means why have we maxed out yeah. the credit card that credit card is going to get a pretty big swiping over the next couple of years and that's but, just been uh, over a weekend in which loads of other stuff were, like, rather like Stephen Crabbe and his flirty sexts you know like that just completely I mean yeah Stephen Crabbe let's just take a moment to like <laughs> luckiest that man guy in proves that prayer works is all I'm saying <laughs> Because that guy who otherwise would have been... I mean, that is a career-ending, like, you're, you know, you're really into your God and then you're sexting someone on the side. But then in comes Andrea Leadsom to save the day by attacking Theresa May for not having kids. And then at exactly the moment when you'd be like, hey, what about this crab fella? In comes Angela Eagle. I mean, I, I honestly think I'm going to get back into religion. I, I thought it was fancy. Someone's in the best tweet of, of all about Stephen Crabbe, which is like it, they'd mocked up a screen that looked like it was Stephen Crabbe's sex. And it was like, I want to kiss you everywhere, including on a council estate where I grew up. 
Oh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what a what a thing! And the thing is that you almost can see a stage in which he ends up back in, if not in the cabinet, then at least you know with some kind of ministerial role. He's just he's completely managed to to duck out of all the normal buckets. Of- I mean, Denise, I, I think he's you know nailed nailed on to be in the cabinet. He's seen as a good television performer. He carved out a niche as the kind of nice one, as it were. Cuddly Welshman with a yeah, beard. Yeah, which is obviously a kind of slightly movable feast, given it is the Conservative Party. But I, for one, am shocked to hear a Christian in politics has not lived up to the precepts that they preach, though. I, don't, I've, I was stunned and shocked by that. I mean, a core amount of our listeners are members of, like, Christians on the left, so I think we should say something nice about them. I mean, including my mother. Well, I was uh, going to yeah. say, my, yeah, my, my, as we previously discussed your mum is a vicar my dad is a permanent deacon in the catholic church my mum was an re teacher but i think that um, it's not that i'm not talking about it's not a cuss on religious people it's a cuss on people who talk about their religion in their politics you know who in the same way that tony blair one of his rationales for going to war in iraq was sort of a bit like god told me to that's where i find it a bit concerning i don't have any problem with people having a religion i do have a problem who People who's who say that they that they've got access to a special source of knowledge that no one else has got, and it's telling them to do things in politics. Yeah, yeah. So Stephen Crabbe, he's had quite a good week. Yeah, big accident. bunch of flowers. He should be sending. He should probably give Andrea Ledsam a child. Yeah, I do think. I mean, yeah. My my expectation is still either that, uh, and I, oh god, we're probably going to have to do an emergency podcast when that happens. <laughs> Aren't we? Um, People are loving the emergency podcast. It's fine, I'm sure. It's uh, absolutely fine. They if, definitely won't get bored of us droning on about politics. My instinct is there are two things which will happen with Jeremy and Angela. One, Jeremy will not be told he has to get the 50 nominations to stand, which, I mean, I'm torn on. In an, on the one hand, it's obvious to me, at least, that what the writers of that bit wanted was for the incumbent to be on by right. On the other hand, it's also obvious that the people who wrote up the rules for no-conning the leader of the PLP wanted that to act as an ejector seat. So we're well... Basically, the internal problem is that Labour doesn't have a democratic culture, right? And so it... At this point, to be honest, if you're turning around and going, wait a second, he's been robbed. I mean, a week ago, he really, like, yeah. He should have been. He should, yeah. Been gone. It, but I think the funny thing about that is that, you know, with the, with the 50 nominations, if your end point that you want to aim for is Labour still being this coalition between the hard left, the soft left, and the, and the centre, then what you want is for Angela Eagle to take him on and beat him, right? And then he has been defeated in a fair fight. I think the problem is that no one thinks that that's what would happen. I also think, like, ultimately, the challenge for both Jeremy Corbyn and his opponents is that Matteo Renzi got one, 1. 1.8 million votes. Francois Hollande got 1.5 million votes in their respective yeah, elections where they opened up to the general public. Jeremy Corbyn got 2,500 votes. In the Labour election in total... Is that all? I, no, I mean two hundred. Yeah, I was going to say 250,000. Sorry, I've just taken away a naught there, sorry. In the, the total electorate was smaller than the candidate who came fourth, right, in the Italian primary. Mm. The role of Liz Kendall in the Italian primary comfortably beat the combined score of all four candidates in the Labour And to be honest, if the people who want to replace Jeremy, who I agree with, I don't think he can win an election, cannot inspire one and a half million people, they're probably not going to win the election either. Can we also take another moment to have another of this week's losers, or winners maybe, um, who haven't been at all recognised? There's all those thousands of people who erroneously anyway joined the Conservative Party when the leadership contest was announced, because particularly those of them who were of a kippy bent who wanted to join and vote for Andrea uh, Leadsom, 
now that's money down the... I mean, they were never going to be allowed to vote anyway because the Tory party very sensibly has a cooling off period before you're allowed to vote in leadership elections. But now that's really... They've just given some money to the Tory party for no reason. Yeah, which I mean, it's not even like the Tory party is really... Struggling. Well, here's the thing. Labour are in real trouble. So we're in a situation now where there is, who knows, a snap election is possible, I guess not probable. But, you know, for form's sake, both John Trickett and Labour and Tim Frown of the Lib Dems have called for one. Labour have got no money. Uh, you know, Corbyn has not been uh, an aggressive fundraiser, as you might imagine, with private donors. It's not really his bag. Three pounders, great that they all joined, but three pounds is not a vast amount of money. In, in, they have in converted terms. some of that to, to, to members. Um, yeah, they've got a good new sign-up of, of members, but they have not. They spent, this is the other thing, because the Labour Party had an official position on the EU referendum, it spent nearly up to the £5 million spending limit. Conservatives spent nothing because they were officially neutral. Labour Party finances are a state, and they are probably, you know, where is the war chest to fight that election if, if it comes within the next six months? That's depressing, isn't it? Maybe we should wrap up. I think we've probably depressed people. <laughs> yeah, on that cheery note, we will be back either on Thursday or next time something falls off the, uh, the <laughs> British, British establishment. <laughs> Thank you very much, Stephen. You really cheered me up. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast presented by me, Helen Lewis, and produced by Anna Leskovitz. You can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on iTunes. Our theme music is Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.